Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. This morning I want to share with you as a part of this series we've called called and chosen. And you may remember at the very beginning of this series, I spoke a message on the fact that we are called to, but we are chosen for. In other words, it's not one or the other, it's both. We are called and we are chosen. Today I want to take you on a very brief tour, if you like, of the second part of that, what we are chosen for. So let's have a look at a couple of scriptures just quickly. John 3.16 will be familiar to so many people. It says, for God so loved the world. And you've got to remember that when Jesus spoke those words, he was talking to 12 disciples and they were all Jewish. And the notion that God loved the world would have been foreign to their upbringing. Their idea was that there was only one group of people God cared about. And so even right at the very beginning, Jesus sets out for them that his plan was always going to be a lot more than simply the the children of Abraham, the people of Israel. That it was going to be far greater than that. That God wanted the entire world to have an opportunity to hear and to respond to the gospel, the good news of Christ. Mark 16 verse 15. He tells them at the end of his earthly ministry, he said, go into again all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, in that intervening period between the cross and the day of Pentecost where the church is truly born, he says this again to these disciples gathered. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you And you will be my witnesses. Now listen for it, because he's talking to people in Jerusalem that have lived in that region all their life. None of them have ever been more than 100 kilometres from that place. And he says to them, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I don't have the time to go into the impact of each one of those locations and what it meant to these Jewish uh, followers here in Christ. But I know that the day of Pentecost was an extraordinary day where God organised that there would be Jewish people from all around the known world would have gathered together for the day of Pentecost. God has no accidents in His timing or in His positioning. I'll say that again. God's got no accidents in His timing or in His positioning. You are where you are and when you are because God wanted you to be where you are at this time. And so on the day of Pentecost, no accident. He didn't do it straight after the cross. It would have been simply 12 or 120 or 500 saw Him bodily ascend. But on that day, there are thousands of people that are gathered speaking all different languages uh, as a native tongue. And so when Peter and the 120 begin speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gives them utterance, Acts 2 verse 4, and it says all these people heard them speaking in their own language. And out of that, the gospel so quickly went from 120 in Jerusalem and spread around all the Jewish world. 
You get to Acts chapter 8 and the persecution arises, trouble comes. But it's in the time of trouble that the church begins to shine like it always does. And so in Acts chapter 8, persecution rises and says that they get spread all around. Philip goes down to Samaria. He's one of the first host team. He goes down to Samaria and he preaches Christ with such power and with such anointing of the Holy Spirit that the entire city turns to Christ. It's an amazing thing. That's the first time that it ever gets out of Jerusalem, that it ever gets out of just the Jewish world because the Jews, the Orthodox, did not regard Samaria as being truly Jewish at all. It gets out of there. Acts chapter 9, the very next chapter. It's Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. He gets called by God and commissioned to be an apostle, a messenger to the Gentiles. But right from the very beginning, one of the hallmarks of the followers of Jesus has always been that all of us are chosen for this mission. Let me read to you some history for a minute. During plague periods in the Roman Empire, plagues are nothing new. Christians made a name for themselves. Historians have suggested that the terrible Antonine Plague of the second century, which might have killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire, led to the spread of Christianity. As Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of angry and capricious deities, but the product of a broken creation in revolt against the loving God. But the more famous epidemic is the plague of Cyprian, named for a bishop who gave a colourful account of this disease in his sermons, probably a disease related to Ebola. Unquote it. The plague of Cyprian helped set off the crisis of the third century in the Roman world. But it did something else too. It triggered the explosive growth of Christianity. Cyprian's sermons, he's the bishop, told Christians not to grieve for plague victims, but to redouble their efforts to care for the living. His fellow bishop Dionysius described how Christians, quote, heedless of danger, took care of the sick, attending to their every need. Nor was it just Christians who noted this reaction of Christians to the plague. A century later, the very actively pagan Emperor Julian would complain bitterly of how those Galileans, they named him, named them after the man from Galilee, how those Galileans would care for even non-Christian sick people. While the church historian Pontianus recounts how Christians ensured that good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. The sociologist and religious demographer Rodney Stark claims that deaths in, the death rates in cities with Christian communities may have been just half that of other cities. This habit of sacrificial care has reappeared throughout history. In 1527, when the bubonic plague hit Wittenberg, Martin Luther refused calls to flee the city and protect himself. Rather, he stayed and ministered to the sick. The refusal to flee cost his daughter Elizabeth her life. 
but it produced a tract where the Christians should flee the plague, where Luther provides a clear articulation of the Christian epidemic response. We die at our posts. Christians don't run away. They don't abandon others. They continue on. That's one story. Let's fast forward a little bit further. In the 1700s, the Holy Spirit began to move powerfully and touched a member of the Moravian aristocracy. I've read his biography just recently. His name is Count Zinzendorf. He was a man who was destined for the higher echelons of political life. Matter of fact, his family were very angry at him that he said, I'm pursuing the call of God and he gave that all away. He began a community of believers that never numbered more than about 300. But as a part of this, they began a prayer vigil that went for 24 hours a day, seven days a week and lasted for 300 years. 24 hours a day. Obviously, he wasn't leading it that long. But it lasted that long. But it wasn't long before out of their prayer came a burden to bring the gospel, the good news, to places other than where they, uh, they were. At. If we looked at a map today, we'd say they were somewhere around near the German border. But this same conviction, let me quote again, affected this community. The prayer watch continued around the clock, constantly bringing the mission work. See, if you're a believer, somewhere along the way, I've watched this over all the years I've been a pastor, where without anybody persuading, pushing, creating obligation, I've noticed there's a couple of things that just seem to go with salvation. One is a, a change of character in life and behaviour. That people without being told, you should stop that, you shouldn't do that. Something of the Holy Spirit just goes, that's not for you anymore. And they begin to live a different life. The second thing is that they begin to serve. They begin to say, what can I do? And all over the years, uh, with everything we do here to encourage people, Aaron, the work of the Holy Spirit has always gone before that. People give their life to Christ. They say yes. And the next thing, they're coming to us saying, what can I do? And the third thing is giving. I've never seen it yet not happen. We don't preach a lot here in this church about tithing. We don't make it an obligation of the Lord, but I'm amazed how often the Holy Spirit just begins whispering to people and say, come on. Well, this happened to them. On congregation days, the whole community would meet to hear news and letters from the missionaries that were read out to them. Despite the sometimes chilling reports of sickness and opposition, they continued to volunteer for service themselves year after year. During the decades which followed, Moravians went to the enslaved peoples of the Caribbean, to the Inuit, the, what we would have called perhaps years ago the Eskimos, uh, of Greenland and Newfoundland, to the black South Africans and the Native Americans. They reached Ceylon, South America, the Far East, and the Russian and the Arab worlds. By the end of the century, this tiny village of around 300 people would be responsible for sending out over 1,000 missionaries to virtually every part of the known world. Let me read you a bit more of the story because Zinzin's off. He didn't want to travel, didn't do it well. 
and uh, didn't enjoy going. But he decided and got persuaded that he should go to the Caribbean to see what was happening to these two mysteries. This, of course, is in the day before the internet, FaceTime, even phone calls. And so they had no idea whether they were even alive or dead. But he's accompanied by three missionaries, including a husband and wife team. As they approached St. Thomas, he was clearly nervous and thinking aloud, he said, what if we find no one there? What if all the missionaries are dead? In that case, replied George Weber, we are here. These Moravians, exclaimed Zinzendorf, and the exchange seemed to sum up the whole go-for-it attitude of the missions. On their arrival, not a trace of the missionaries could be found. Some brief inquiries soon discovered the reason Far from being a failure, the mission had triggered a spiritual awakening among the enslaved black population and over 600 had come to faith in Christ. Jealous at the baptism of these new believers and alarmed that the Moravians were teaching them to read and write, the official Dutch pastor, sorry for the Dutch, had managed to get them imprisoned on trumped up charges. They'd been in prison for three months, but far from impeding the work, their imprisonment had acted as a powerful testimony to the sincerity of their faith. Wait for it. The new Christians gathered outside the prison window every evening to join the St. Thomas Three in impromptu hymn singing, which annoyed the plantation owners even more. That's just a few stories. I could have literally told thousands. Some of them you would know all about of Mother Teresa going to the poor and the completely unloved and neglected people, the poorest of the poor in India. We could have talked about William Booth, the man who started the Salvation Army and literally changed the world. We could talk about him, but I could have told you stories of others that are less well known. I remember last year at the Red Frogs Commissioning hearing our police commissioner, Chris Dawson, hold up a little book and, and I've actually tried to get a copy of it but I haven't been able to find one. But he told the story of his grandfather going to Papua New Guinea as a, as a believer wanting to bring the gospel. He said on that night that now there was almost a million people in Papua New Guinea, who owned the name of Jesus as a result of his grandfather's first trip. I was so staggered by that. I go, how could that have happened? And I've never heard of it. So I went and Googled it. I asked his son-in-law, I said, tell me, what's the name of that? And, and I Googled it. And as of, I think, last year, it was something like 836,000 believers are a, the result and the fruit of that one man's dedication. How remarkable. See, all around the world and all through history, what started with Jesus there in John 3.16 has kept on resonating despite everything that the enemy and unbelieving rulers have thrown at the church. People get so worried and occupied about, you know, a whole lot of stuff that's happening and they forget that Jesus said, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against what I'm building. People forget, I think Christians forget, that we are not some fragile group 
of people clutching on and hanging on desperately to a form of worship or to a style or a method. But we have been people that are redeemed by the living God, called to be kings and priests under our God, and that we walk tall in the earth because we are born again, as the Bible says, of incorruptible seed. There's nothing that can stop that. There's nothing. There is not a pandemic. There's not a demon. There's not a political system of any kind that will ever be able to reverse what Jesus began on that cross when he said, it's finished and heaven declared it's just begun. Amen. But now you and I are here. It's not about history. It's still though about his story. And you know, I don't know about you, but I read those stories of those missionaries and I go, oh God, I've been to some pretty challenging parts of the world. I've been to some where they told me it was dangerous uh, for a person of my background to be. And uh, anyway, uh, but I wouldn't put myself anywhere near the class of these people. I think most of us, though we admire their courage and devotion, most of us feel somewhat inadequate, don't we? We feel somewhat ill-equipped. I don't know enough. I'm not sure I've got enough internal whatever it is. So let me take you back to the beginning of the gospel story again. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where Jesus says to 12 people that haven't done anything yet, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavour, how shall it then be seasoned? It's not good for anything to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do they light a lamp or a candle and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus does not ask us for grand theology or amazing oratory. Our dazzling debating skills or persuasive arguments are not what he's looking for. He simply says to every follower, will you let your light shine? Hello? I'm not asked to be have an argument or an answer for every question. I'm not asked to be able to drip miracles off my fingertips. He simply says to me, will you let your light shine wherever you are? You know, if we want people to see the light, we have to be the light. We can't ask someone to see a light unless I'm going to be the light wherever I am. Matthew 5.15, let me read it to you in a different version. It says, neither do men or women light a candle, put it under a basket, they put it on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Something supernatural about simply living for Christ. Don't you love that? I, I do. I love the fact I... Every day I think I'm grateful to God that it's not all up to me. I'm grateful to God that I don't have to be Superman, 
you don't have to be simple woman. You don't have to have it all, know it all, be it all, be perfect. All you've got to be is be willing to be a light. This is what I'd like to do today. I'd like if you would like to say to Jesus, I'll be a light, wherever you are, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, in whatever sphere of endeavour you find yourself, maybe in a sporting team that you play soccer, indoor soccer with those, those girls or guys. Maybe it's just in the local cafe and they're used to you and you're a regular. I'm not asking you to go in with a Bible verse. Jesus never said that. I'm not asking you to go in humming the latest song we sing. He never asked you for that. I'm not asking you to get a pulpit and stand out in the street. I'm simply saying, will you and I say to Jesus, I'll just be a light, Lord. I reckon I can do that. This is what I'd like to do. And if you're at home, you can join with us so easily. I've arranged for these here. Thank you, David Faulkner. He's online with it today. David made these specially for this morning. These timber blocks that are the perfect size for the candles that are right there at the end of that aisle. And I'm going to ask if you would say today, because, see, I don't think that's just about what I say. It's about what we all say. And I'm going to invite you, if you want, to come down that aisle there, so that's your uh, right-hand side. Come down there and go to either that one or that one. Take a candle as you go and then put it in the holder and some of the host team will be there to light it for you. Apparently nowadays, OHS doesn't let you light it. Uh, so I've been told. So uh, we're going to happily light that for you. Let me make it clear. This is not a candle for prayer. We're not lighting it. It's not our prayer. You can make a prayer for the people that, you know, because I think about this and I go, my list is so long. My list is so long of the people that I want Jesus in me to shine for them. I want them to see Christ and I know the feeling of inadequacy of I don't know how to say that. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone in your workplace. Maybe it's just people in your, in your neighbourhood and your community and you wave to them and you go, God, how do I reach them? And Jesus says, if you will just simply be a light for me, I'll take care of the rest. Lots of people do good works, but a Christian doing them is somehow rather different because the promise is, let them see your good works. They'll end up glorifying the Father in heaven. And so I invite, we're going to all stand together in a minute. And if you want to come and do that, you can come and pick up that candle, put it in there. Just tell the Lord today, Lord, I'm telling you, I'm going to be a light. Metro Church, as a church, Nothing's ever changed in the 30 whatever it is years this church has been going. We began saying we're here for the lost. Nothing's changed. This week, one of our transformed leaders beautiful woman called Shreemong. She passed away. Two small children, a husband, they just bought a house. I look at that and I go, thank God for Christians who said, yes, I'll be a light. 
never imagining how much God would use it. To the man who said yes last week online, and in his, in his yes, he said, would you pray for my friend because she's broken, got so many troubles. I'm glad for the person who said I'll be a light. So I think it's a great moment for us to say to the Lord, I just want to be a good light for you. I'm not going to promise you I'll be perfect, Lord. I can't tell you that I'll get it all right. That would be a foolish promise to make. But I can say, Lord, if you would use me with all my missteps, if you can do it, because you can, then I want to be a part of that. Can we stand together? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the influence that we have that sometimes we're not aware of. We thank you, Lord, that there are people around about us and we think we haven't said enough. We haven't shone brightly enough. And yet, Lord, you take what we do and you make it impacting to lives in Jesus' name. I'm sure there's people a part of the service either in the building or you're with us online and like those people I just referenced, maybe you need to give Jesus your first yes. The yes that says, I want you to be my saviour. I want you to forgive me of my sin. So many people don't know the level of the burden they're carrying until Jesus takes it away. They don't know what peace is like. They think peace is what you get when you get away from it all. And Jesus said, no, I'll give you a peace in the midst of it all. So if you want to say your yes, you can do that online. I have Metro Church online. There's simply a yes moment button. You can click on that and it'll lead you through it. If you're in Australia and you want to do it via text, it's 488 If you're overseas or you'd rather get the help via email and it's free and it comes without any strings attached, it's just us as a church saying we want to help you with your next steps with God. You go to yes.metrochurch.org.au and we'd love to be a part of your journey with Jesus. Love to help you. If we want them to see the light, we have to be the light. Amen. Now, we're going to sing a great song in a minute, but I wanted to give the team that were up here opportunity to come before we do that. So we're going to pause and not sing for a minute. We're going to come, and those of you wanting, just come down that aisle, go to there or across to there. Then if you'd return to your seat up that aisle, this makes it a lot easier for everyone for traffic flow. If you're up in the balcony, you've got time to come down. Don't worry. If you're online with us at home, grab a candle. You might say, oh, there's no one else here. I'd go, yeah, but Jesus is there. And he'd love it if you would just light that and say, Lord, I'll be the light. Heavenly Father, help us today. As we make a, a commitment to you and just say, Lord, I want to be a light for you. Thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for using us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any of the team that want to come?
as you come, as you do that, think about all the people that are around about your life. And I want you to replace your sense of inadequacy, your sense of God. I don't know what to say. How many people are here who've got someone you go, I've told them everything. I've tried to answer every question, every argument. And Jesus just says, hey, just be a light. Amen. Both sides, you can come to either side. We'll take whatever time it is, is necessary so that we can do this today. It's not a candle for prayer. That'll be your and my responsibility. Just remember, come both sides, folks. Darren's waiting over here for anybody that wants that as well. Thank you. Shadeep, if you'd stand on the other side there, that'd be a big help, I think. Then people can come both ways. Thank you. You might be new here this morning. You might say, uh, this is not my church home. I'm visiting. We really love you to come. This is not about a church. This is about Jesus. It's about the kingdom. If you're up in the balcony and you want to come down, feel free to do so. No pressure on anyone to have to do anything. This is your moment with God. Team, you're going to lead us and we're going to sing together this great song. He's a way maker, because He is. He's the one who makes a way. Through every impossibility, He makes a way. Amen. Thank you.
say even when I don't feel it you're working even when I don't see it you're working amen thank you for your response what an amazing thing when you got this many people and those online as well you say Jesus this week I'm just going to be alive amen Heavenly Father we thank you for today I thank you for the heartfelt commitment of so many people those that I see with a candle and those I can't see that have told you the same thing wherever they are in whatever country they're in whether it's an easy space or a difficult one they're saying Lord whatever it looks like I'll be a light thank you Holy Spirit that for thousands of years you've kept watching over the church so that the flame never flickers never dies out but in every generation there's people that have got a heart for the lost a heart for the broken a heart for the people that don't know you and that continue to do something so wonderful and so great thank you for them bless them I pray Lord give us one of those weeks where we finish it saying I know God used me this week I know that moment, that conversation, I couldn't have engineered it, but it happened. That new person I met, that question I got wisdom for, that relationship that was fragile, but God, you strengthened it. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.